this is a first for us, an online lighting of the Advent candle. Advent certainly feels different this year than in past years. Advent comes from the Latin word adventus, which comes, uh, is from the Greek word parousia, which actually appears in the New Testament 24 times to speak of Jesus' coming or arrival. And so that's what we're celebrating when we celebrate Advent. We're celebrating the coming of Jesus and we're stirring expectation in us for his second coming. So we love to do that during this time of year. And so as a church, to do that this year, we're going to shift to the last part of our series that we've been in for the last while. We started with looking at presence and our our desire and our need for God's presence in our midst. And then we've been in formation for the last while, talking about uh, the various ways that we are formed into the image of Jesus. And now we're going to move and look and talk about witness looking at how the coming of Jesus witnesses to the eternal plan of God and calls us to be his witnesses, seeking the renewal of all things as followers of Jesus. And so my title this morning is A Light for All Nations. And my text this morning is the Advent text that Dan uh, read for us. And so I want to give us some perspective about this text that we heard. Those words were written uh, somewhere between 700 and 680 BC during the reign of Hezekiah and Manasseh in Judah. And they were, uh, they were about 100 years before Judah would fall into Babylonian captivity. Words that were written by Isaiah that warned God's people of the danger of of falling away from him and not returning to him, the danger of of idolatry and and disobedience. And then uh, going at at about Isaiah chapter 40, though it actually speaks extensively for the rest of Isaiah about the coming of the Messiah and, and pointing to what God's plan for redemption was. And words that would be so precisely fulfilled in the coming of Jesus of Nazareth. And 2,700 years later, these words still powerfully speak to his church today. And and this was a prophetic promise of what was to come. In fact, in verse 5, it says there in, in Isaiah 42 that this is what God the Lord says he will do. And we might ask, well, what are his credentials? And, it, and he tells us there, he says, I am the one who created the heavens. Or, you know, that's a Hebrew way of saying, I'm the one who created all of the universe and stretched them out. I spread out the earth, he says. And this is not proof for those flat earthers, no. But he says, and all that comes out of the earth, I created all of it. I give breaths to its people or to the nations. That's what it speaks of there. And life or spirit to those who walk in it. And so the Lord says, this is what I will do. And he says, it begins with my servant. Verse 1 there, it says, he says, here is my servant, a light for the nations, he goes on to say. And who is this servant? Because that's a question that those who would be reading these words would say, who, who, is, who is the Lord talking about? And Matthew 12 tells us, we, we learn more as we go on in Isaiah 42, but uh, Matthew 12, he tells us there in the Gospels that this 
is the, the light that God is referring to is Jesus. And the one that God upholds and the one in whom God delights, whom he will anoint with his spirit. This is Jesus. John Piper says this, he says, The Father's very soul exalts with joy over the servant-like meekness and compassion of his Son. When a reed is bent and about to break, the servant will tenderly hold it upright until it heals. When a wick is smoldering and scarcely has any heat left, the servant will not pinch it out, but cup his hand and blow gently until it burns again. Thus, The father cries, behold my servant in whom my soul delights. The picture here of a bruised reed and and a candle wick, maybe somewhat unfamiliar language for us or unfamiliar pictures for us, but it speaks of the care and the tenderness of Jesus towards those who were at the very end, would come to the very end of themselves to those in the very depths of despair and disillusionment, to those who feel that they have nothing left, to to those who are are in the grips of addiction, those discarded as, as useless by the world, disregarded as beyond hope. It is to those that Jesus comes in tender care. There was a season in my life where as a young man, I would have put myself in these verses I had very little hope, very little desire to live, feeling abandoned and at the end of myself. And as I was in that place, I met Jesus. He spoke tender mercy and kindness to me and over me. And many of you likely identify with this, that this has happened to you at some point in your life. You have experienced the tenderness of Jesus. And there's, there's times where we will... At times in our lives, we will experience moments or, or times like this where we identify and we can feel like this. And we can rest that this is speaking to Jesus and, and what he would embody and who he would be for us. And in verse 4, it says there that Jesus will not falter or be discouraged. And what's really interesting is those are the same two Hebrew words used for bruised and smoldering. And so what it's telling us in the text is that Jesus is free from the weaknesses and the failures of the people. The people that he's coming to, he doesn't have the same weaknesses. And yet he desires to help us in every situation and bring healing. Jesus is not hindered in establishing justice on this earth. It's in his name or teaching, it says here in the text, but in his name, the nations will put their hope. That's how Matthew 12, 21 translates this verse. So where it says here that in his teaching, the islands will put their hope. Matthew realizes, he says, no, this is talking about in the name of Jesus, the nations will put their hope. This is hope for every single person on this earth. No one is excluded. When we we put our hope in Jesus, there is nothing that can hinder Jesus from working transformation and redemption in your life. Nothing. This is not up in the air. This is not to be decided. There, There is no question that this is what Jesus can do. In verse 6, it speaks of there four times uh, the Lord speaks of you. 
And the you there is in the singular sense, tense, in every single instance. So this is a shift in the verses. This solidifies that this is not speaking of Israel as a nation. This is, this is very, very personal. And I, I wonder how much comfort Jesus took in these very words when he was on the earth. When, when he was going through things, how much did Jesus rely on these sorts of promises that were spoken over him from the Father? And the fa- it's the Father speaking to his Son. And, and it sort of reminds us there of those verses those words in John 1. That the, and we realize that when we, we read those verses in John 1 that Dan read, that the Son has existed eternally with the Father. They've, they created all things together. The very essence of life is in them. And so the Father speaks this over Jesus, and he says, I have called you. There's, there's purpose and calling and identity in this. I will take you by the hand. I am going to lead you. And I will keep you. This is the protection, the care of the Father, the promise. I will give you, he says, as a covenant to the people. This is the very fulfillment of the covenant promise spoken over Abraham. The covenant that would exist eternally for God's people. And he says, you will be a light for the nations. This is, it it sort of aligns with verse 1 where it speaks of justice for the nations. That in Jesus, he is bringing truth and righteousness. He will bring light and everything into the light. It's incredible. And what did the Father say that Jesus would do as the light for the nations. Well, he says there in verse 7, he says, you, you, he will open the eyes that are blind. He will free captives from prison, from spiritual captivity, to release those who are trapped in darkness. Yes, when it speaks of the blind there, Jesus, obviously, he performed that uh, physically as well when he was on this earth, but this verse speaks uh, mostly to the spiritual life the, the freedom that Jesus brings for those who follow him. In Luke's gospel, it says that after resisting the temptation of Satan in the wilderness, again, the Eremos, like we've been talking about, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. And he deliberately went back home to his hometown of Nazareth, where everyone knew him. And, and then, so he went back there and he went to the synagogue where everybody knew everyone. And it's there, in that place, in his hometown, that Jesus stands up and he begins to quote from Isaiah. And he quotes in Luke, in Luke 4, 18 and 19, it says this, The Spirit of the Lord, he says, is upon me, for he has anointed me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And yes, Jesus is quoting Isaiah 61 there particularly, which speaks of the deliverance of Israel from Babylonian slavery. In in Isaiah 61, it's seen as a year of jubilee, debts canceled where slaves are freed, and property returned to the original owners. But in Jesus, 
the promise is infinitely greater, far more expansive than Isaiah could ever fathom. The Lord knew what he was prophesying. And he says, after saying these words, it says that Jesus, he rolled up the scroll that he was, he was reading from Isaiah. He rolled up the scroll and he sat down. And then he said, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Like this, this is the mic drop. Like what a claim that Jesus is making. It's like, guys, I'm it. Like this is me. There, there were many because they, they, they wanted Jesus to do them. They wanted to, him to be at their beck and call. We see that in the text in Luke 4. And there were many then that rejected the message because they couldn't control Jesus. He wouldn't fit inside their box. And, and the reason is this is a controversial claim that Jesus makes. Jesus is declaring, I am the light for the nations. We see this spoken of in Isaiah 42 here. And so... We have to grapple with this in our world because the light of this world is not Justin Trudeau. It is not Joe Biden. It's not the Republican or the Democratic Party. It's not the Paris Climate Change Agreement. It's not Black Lives Matter. It's not a COVID vaccine. It is not found in any of these things and it is not found within us either. It is found in a person and his name is Jesus. In John 1, 4 and 5, those verses that we read this morning, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind, it says. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. In John 1, 10, it says that, that Jesus came into the world, but it did not recognize him. The world didn't see they didn't understand who this was. This is the essence of the gospel for every single one of us. This simple yet profound contrast of darkness versus light. And Jesus being the source of all light. In Colossians 1.13 it says that God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And Ephesians 5 says that we, as the children of God, we are called there in Ephesians 5, it says that we are called to follow God's example, example, to be imitators of him. We are called there, it says, to live as children of God of light, producing the fruit of all that is good, righteous, and true. All goodness, all righteousness, all truth. That's who we're called to be. It reminds us of Philippians 2, where it says in Philippians 2 that we are to shine as lights in this world in the midst of a crooked and twisted or depraved generation. That's, that's who we are. That's what we're living in. And that's who we're called to be in. Ephesians 5 10 to 14 goes on to say, it says, find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to speak what the disobedience, disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light 
becomes visible. And everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. It's an incredible, those are incredible verses there. It says that, that you know, it speaks of Christ shining on us. Just the light of Christ just enveloping us. It says in 2 Corinthians 4 that this light, it shines in our hearts. And what does it say? What does it illuminate within us? It says it's the knowledge or the understanding of the glory of God that we see in Jesus. Our hearts are awakened to that. And, and we understand and have knowledge and have, have, we experience. It's all of that wrapped up in there. We experience the love of God that we see and the glory of God in Jesus. This is an awakening that takes place in our lives. We, we, you know, we understand light in our, our physical dimension. Right now, lights that are, that are helping make this look better on the screen. There's, there's physical light. And, and we experience the wonder of it in our lives in just a multitude, millions of ways even. But it, it points to the reality of spiritual light that is infinitely more powerful. And in Christ is this radiant light of the Father. And, and this light both exposes and illuminates. It, it's, it's incredible of, of how this spiritual light that is in Christ, how it impacts our lives. It reveals life versus death. It reveals righteousness versus wickedness. Truth versus lies. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, this light shines in us, revealing the manifest presence of God that is fully revealed in Jesus. Jesus is the light of the nations, and we shine his light in the midst of this world. And so this leaves us with some very important work to do, some very important questions to ask ourselves, both individually and as a church body. How, how do I or how do we display Jesus? How, or what am I or are, how are we illuminating his light in our lives? What, what am I illuminating in my life? What's coming out of me? What, what do people see when they look at me or when they look at us? Am I a reflection of the light of Jesus? Do I exemplify his character? Will people see that I have been with Jesus? Will people see that you have been with Jesus? How, how we conduct ourselves during this time, and, and at all times, certainly, so not just this time, but how we conduct ourselves during this time that we're in, it matters. It's, is, is it not normative that as followers of Jesus that we would radiate his light and his love to the world around us? That we would not retreat inward during this time. And, and that's the easiest response for sure right now. 
It, 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 it feels almost normal in, in some respects to just retreat inward during this time. And there's, there's so much messaging coming at us and so much uh, stuff that we're, we're taking in that, that would encourage this. And, and in a way, it feels like, well, it's okay to just retreat inward. But is that what the Lord calls us to do in this time as his people? Are we looking and looking to respond outwardly to the world around us? And how do we do that during this time? Those are questions that I think are, are a necessity for us as the church to grapple with. This week, Larry, he shared with our leadership team an, an essay that C.S. Lewis wrote in 1948. And I, I shared this earlier on in the spring as well. And... Um, when Larry shared it, shared it with us, I immediately, I'm like, oh yeah, I remember that. Because it, it, I remember months ago, it's speaking to me where uh, he wrote in 1948 an, an essay uh, to a question about how to live in the midst of a nuclear age. The threat of nuclear war was very palpable in the late 1940s in the world. And so people were thinking about this and people were living under the cloud of this at that time, and, and, and there, was, there was so much stuff swirling about in the world there after World War II. And so C.S. Lewis was asked, how, how should we respond? And he, he lists some of the previous threats of the past centuries that people have lived through, all sorts of, of health stuff, and, and to make that he was making the point that all these people lived through this in past centuries, and the point is, we will all die, he says. But he says, he, he really, what he culminates with it, he says is, what matters is how we live in the present. How we live as followers of Jesus amidst the present matters. What we speak, what we post, what we share, what we listen to, what we do, what we don't do, all of that, it matters as followers of Jesus, how we live this out. You know, there's, there's a, a fair bit of talk in these parts, uh, in this region, revolving around fairness. And, well, and I'm sure not just here, but obviously, you know, we, we get a sense of this locally and, and talk about what government decisions are being made. And, and questions do need to be raised and decisions need to be evaluated. I think that that's, that's necessary. And I wish right now that there'd be far more of that investigation happening in our media for sure. But how do followers of Jesus conduct themselves in the midst of this? How do we respond in the midst of this? You know, the whole question about what, what is essential and, and what, is, what isn't essential, right? Like, like how, how can churches be closed but liquor stores and cannabis stores, how can those remain open? How, how is that fair? And, and I get it. it. It feels at times confusing and frustrating some of the decisions that are being made. But that's not the issue. Why, why are stores like that open? Because people are looking to their coping mechanisms in order to cope during this time. And the government knows they can't help. The government knows that they actually won't be able to handle that. The drug of choice actually isn't the problem. It's the need 
that the drug is trying to feed that needs to be met. There's needs within people, deep, deep longings, deep, deep emotional pain, deep, deep stuff that needs to be healed. And so this is, this is not try, about trying to get into heated debates about how one thing can be considered essential and, and how can the church not be? The church is essential. The church has always been essential. But the church is ultimately not a building. The church is ultimately not a service time. We, yes, we love that. But ultimately, the church is followers of Jesus, living as radiant lights in the midst of a dark and hurting world that needs help. That's what the church is. And the church will return. We will return and we will meet again and we will love and enjoy coming together. But that's not ultimately what the church is. The church is only effective as light as the people who make up the church desire to shine their light in the world around them. And so I'm not actually concerned in the least about whether or not this will happen. I, I don't put my trust in the faithfulness of people. Rather, I'm putting my trust in the faithfulness of God. And he says that he will look after his church. His church will never, ever fail. So my concern is, how is my light doing? Isaiah 42.8 says, the Lord declares there. He says, I am the Lord That is my name. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. The light of Jesus speaks of the glory of God spreading to the nations. And the glory of God and the praise due his name would extend, the, the prayers that this would extend to the ends of the earth. This is about God's eternal glory and our ultimate good. This is why we desire, on, on one, one of the reasons, and a big reason, why we desire so much to be involved with a ministry like shoeboxes. This is why we desire to run alpha courses. This is why we desire to, by various means, we want to spread the glory of God into our nation and into the nations. And so the question always is, how can we be involved But in seeking to understand this, John Piper says, because God is unique as the most glorious of all beings and totally self-sufficient, he must be for himself in order to be for us. If he were to abandon the goal of his own self-exaltation, we would be the losers. His aim to bring praise to himself and his aim to bring pleasure to his people are one aim and stand or fall together. What could God give us to enjoy that would show him most loving? There is only one possible answer, isn't there? Himself. If God would give us the best, the most satisfying, that is, if he would love us perfectly, he must offer us no less than himself for our contemplation and fellowship. And in Jesus, God gave us himself.
In Isaiah 42.9, the last verse that we read this morning, it says, I am declaring new things before they spring into being. And those words were written 700 years before they came into being in the person of Jesus Christ. God says, I announce them to you. He's, what he's saying there is, I am going to give you myself. There, there is nothing close to the magnitude of Jesus' coming to this earth. God with us. God for us. Communion, fellowship, redemption, healing. And the list could go on and on of what Jesus has brought for us. You know, I love that that part in the Bible Project video that we watched where they talked about optimists. And, you know, as Christians, we are not eternal optimists. Rather, we are eternal hopemists. And I, I know that's not a word, but I thought we are hopemists. We don't have to hope that everything works out for the best. This is not about whether we have optimal conditions in our lives. In the midst of hard and dark days, in the midst of struggle and pain, in the midst of all sorts of life experiences, we have a living hope whose name is Jesus. And we wait in the tension with expectation for him, living in his light that he has brought into this world. And so... I want to leave us today with three questions for application to go away with that I think are really helpful to put before the Lord and to ask the Lord to speak to us about. First, where do I need to receive Jesus' ministry of healing in my life? Secondly, how will I witness to the light of Christ in these days? How will I be a witness to the world around me? And the third question is, what will I do this week to walk out this message in my life? I want to bless you, church. I want to speak this, the goodness of Jesus' coming and his light over us. It's, It's an incredible truth for us to receive as we come into Advent, that we have the light of this world and he's been given to us even amidst everything that we're experiencing. Jesus has come and he's coming again. And so let's end this morning by worshiping together with a song from Martin Smith that I'm sure many of us will recognize. It's one of these that uh, in years past we have loved worshiping to. So let's do that once again this morning.